This is the Darkest Page Podcast. Chapter 2 Jack stood by the taxi, watching Amanda's house, waiting for Mia. The boot of the taxi had already been thrown open in anticipation for Mia's vast amounts of luggage. Jack was not sure if it was a good idea to take her to Grimshaw, especially since Amanda had not agreed to it. Still, Mia was his daughter, and this was his family that had suffered the loss. It sat strange with Jack that he had spoken more to his family in the last few days than he had in the last three or four years. The prospect of actually seeing them in the flesh had not sunk in as reality yet. He knew it would, no doubt in the middle of the night, and he would wake in a cold sweat. The front door opened and Mia came trudging out, two suitcases that were far too big for her small frame to carry. She had a hat over her golden hair and earphones stuck in. Amanda followed behind, bearing a third suitcase, chuntering away to Mia, who obviously could not hear a word. Mia smiled at Jack, who just responded with a nod. He knew better than to speak when she could not hear. Mia threw the suitcases into the boot with a hand from Jack. Amanda threw the third in and looked at Jack. Remember what I said, and I'll give you a call in a few days. But remember... Amanda turned to Mia. Mia! Mia pulled out an earphone. What? Remember you can call any time. Mia pulled a face. I know. Bye. Jack could not help but smirk. Eleven years old and a teenager at heart already. He slammed the boot closed. Amanda, she knows. We'll be fine. See you in a few weeks. Don't let me down. Jack wanted to scream at her. Mia ignored the two of them and retreated into the taxi. Jack understood. She had never liked seeing the two of them together since they separated. Jack resisted the urge to retaliate with Amanda, but it was tough. He sat in the taxi next to his daughter. She had taken her earphones out but, but did not look at her dad. Jack told the driver they were ready to head off. Mia, she turned and looked at him. We're going away for a few days. Don't tell mum. Mia smirked. She looked so like him when she did. I won't. Where are we going? Grimshaw. Where? Well, a train to Grimshaw. What's there? A lighthouse? Is that it? Jack smiled. I think so, but my grandfather died, so we're going with some of the other family to hear his will. Sorry, Dad. Don't you hate your family? Jack laughed. <laughs> yeah, most of them. But they will be there. I guess you'll get to meet them too. I should be sorry. Mia turned back to the window. Well, we can always just go to the lighthouse. Did Mum not want you to take me? No. What do we tell her when she rings in a few days? I'll speak to her about it. Mia nodded. She'll be angry when she finds out. She'll be angry with me, not you. She might not let me she might not let me see you again. Jack stroked her hair from under her hat. She might, but she won't be able to, don't worry. Mia nodded. She put the earphones back in. Jack knew she was right. When Amanda found out he was taking Mia to Grimshaw she would be furious and he would bear the brunt, and she would never trust him again to look after Mia. Hell, 
Amanda was taking them all to Mauritius in a few weeks anyway. Why could he not have a holiday with her too? Jack watched the collection of people who swarmed all over the station. He stayed close to Mia as they wheeled their luggage amongst the congregated masses. People did not move out of their way but seemed to be completely ignorant of their need and difficulty in managing the luggage trolley. Their train would be arriving in the next 15 or 20 minutes. All they had to do was wait. Mia collapsed on the bench along the wall flanking the platform. Jack stayed standing next to the trolley and watched as the train pulled in and released the throngs of masses out into the station. Jack held fast to the trolley as if he would have been swept away otherwise. Across the masses a man watched him. A rather tall man in a long black coat and trilby. People around him avoided him without a glance. The man tilted his head but Jack could not see his features from across the platform. He felt the blood drain from his face and vision tunnelled towards the man as the platform faded. Jack shook his head and forced himself to blink and the man was gone. He turned towards Mia and saw him sitting next to her and his cold eyes under the brim of his hat as he tilted his head. There was something familiar to his features. He had seen the man before but could not place him. Jack jumped back and crashed his hips into the trolley. Mia looked up at him, more embarrassed than anything else. Jack checked the trolley automatically before looking back at the man who had vanished. He looked around, scanning the now thinning crowd on the platform, but there was no sign of the man. Who was that? Mia pulled an earphone out. Who? Forget it. Let's wait over there. Mia followed Jack's gaze towards the other side of the platform at another empty bench. She pulled a face, stood up, and shook her head. Whatever. Jack did not want to see the mysterious man again. He was not surprised that Mia had not seen him, so engrossed in her own music and phone. Still, the image of the man stayed with him during the wait, and each and every person that passed them reminded him of the sight. The announcer called their train as the next one to pull onto their platform, and Jack was relieved when it came to a stop and seemed much less busy than the last. Sitting in the soft seats and facing the direction of travel, they even had a small table to themselves. Jack always enjoyed travelling by train and always wanted to do it more often. Mia sat and played some colourful game and ignored him. That was okay. They had two weeks either up at Grimshaw and back at his place to talk to each other, or he was just glad to spend time with her, and, although it was not cool to say it, he knew she felt the same way. Two people sat across the aisle from them, early forties women who chattered away to themselves. The one by the window was louder than the other. They had a full day planned, it seemed, but would be getting off in a stop or two. Their train route would be longer, most of the rest of the day. Jack ran his hand along the outside of his coat to check the inside of his pocket. He felt the paper with all the directions on them safely concealed within. He let himself relax and looked across Mia, out of the window. Eventually, after more people piled into the carriage, the train pulled away and soon all Jack could hear was the tumultuous din of the overlapping conversations turning into white noise. As the train journeyed on, Jack struggled to keep his mind off their destination and thinking about what was before him over the next few days. But soon, the rock of the carriage 
soothed him to a silent sleep. Nancy sat on the deserted bus. It was way too early in the day to be doing anything, especially anything to do with her ungrateful, selfish family. Yet here she was, sat on the damp bus that smelled worse than an abandoned public toilet in the best clothes she could find, with nothing more than her small case of things. Alistair had a list, and she wanted to ensure the old man did not share it with anyone, and if all it took was a few days of hell in Grimshaw, then so be it. The bush shuddered around a corner. Nancy held onto the loose handrail as it completed the manoeuvre. She pulled the paper from the front pocket on her suitcase, unfolded it, and read the instructions. Another bus, then a train to the arse end of the world, all the tickets, all the requirements. The Redmonds had never been so generous as to give up valuable money for such a trivial reason. Nancy rubbed her lips. She needed a drink, a smoke, anything to calm her frayed nerves. The bush shuddered around and bounced along the road. Fucking driver, fucking roads. Nancy held onto her suitcase and glared at her feet. The bus pulled up to a stop and lowered on one side. A few like-minded early morningers climbed aboard and dispersed themselves around. Nancy didn't like the look of any of them. A young man in a suit. Some lying somewhere. Such a well-dressed man taking a bus on the early morning. She scanned down to his scruffy shoes. No wealth and very little prospect, she imagined. The woman across from him, overweight and with thinning hair, she seemed to struggle for every breath. Nancy smirked. It was no smoking on the bus, but she knew the joy of having a cigarette in front of someone who had clearly quit for their own good. She resisted the urge to look at the three who had chosen to sit behind her, but recalled a little of their persona. The middle-aged man in a tracksuit who used the buses to their maximum value, with a week-long ticket or some other such item, and the two teenagers who had little recourse but to use public transport to go after some meaningless, frivolous adventure. She never rode a bus with her childhood friends. She never really had any to begin with, and that was the way she liked it. The bus pulled away from the stop, not long now before arriving at the train station, and she could not get off soon enough, but only then to get onto an equally fucked-up train for hours. The bus pulled to an unglamorous stop. Sorry man, no dogs. Nancy looked at the bus driver as he waved across the bus to the man stood at the open door. She could not see him through the maze of reflective glass, seats, handholds and window frames. The door closed and the bus clunked into gear and pulled away. Nancy watched the man holding the dog in his arms as he stared into the bus with a blank face and gasped as she passed. She looked around her, half expecting some other passengers to be staring out the same window, but none of them were. The paper in her hands saved her and calmed her nerves. Just look at the paper. Have a cigarette when you get to the train station. It was just some foolish old man and his dog, nothing else. She'd had enough of the paper that drew a map to her personal hell. She scrunched it up and stuffed it back into the pocket of her suitcase. As she agreed with herself, the first thing Nancy did once she was off the bus was to light up a cigarette and enjoy it before she needed to get into the station and fight her way through to the 8.30 train with all the commuters. 
She threw the cigarette down onto the ground and marched with her small case through the doors, ignoring the man asking for change who sat in the archway. The boards flashed up and displayed the expected arrival time of her train was on time. At least she wouldn't have to wait here long. She sighed and waited like a dutiful commuter. Sarah threw the last of the cases into the back of the old car. She had not driven this far in this old thing for a long time, and she did not relish the idea now. A good eight hours in the rust bucket with her mother, she as far as she could tell, still had not moved from her room. Sarah slammed the car door to make sure it shut, more than out of frustration. She just hoped the radio worked, if nothing else. At least then she could drown out anything her mother might just start coming out with. The house stood as it always had. The poisonous atmosphere and the cold, seething hatred didn't cling to the walls, and no one knew what had gone on in those walls except her. The upstairs curtain twitched. It could only be her mother flicking the curtains to look at what the sound of the closing car door was. Perhaps she was hoping that Sarah had left without her. She had wanted to. She pulled the phone out of her pocket and tapped Jack's name. Holding it to her ear, she listened to it ring once. Hi. This is Jack Redmond. I can't answer right now, but you can leave a message. Followed by a loud beep. He must be on the train. Signal must be bad. Hi Jack, it's Sarah. We're just about to set off. Let me know when you get there. See you soon. She hung up and watched the still curtain and realised she would have no choice but to go and get her mother. She would not come of her own volition. She trugged up the driveway and into that poisonous place. Mother, come on. Still no reply. Sarah banged on her mother's door. Are you ready? Sarah heard fumbling from within, but couldn't make out anything that was going on. Then the door opened. She looked at her mother. Makeup covered her sallow face. Her hair had been done for the first time in weeks, and it showed. At least her clothes were fresh. Sarah had ensured that. Her mother said nothing as she barged past and down the stairs, with Sarah following close behind. The car started with a fierce roar that calmed after a few seconds, and Sarah pulled away from the house and towards Grimshaw. Her sat-nav pointed the way, though the windscreen was too small for a massive phone screen sat-nav that bounced at her side. Her mother did not even look at her. Out of the corner of her eye, Sarah could see that she kept drifting off to sleep, and couldn't help wonder how long it had been since she had taken anything, knowing full well the consequences of withdrawal. She twisted the radio volume and the sound of some good morning program echoed through the old tinny speakers of the car. But it was better than nothing. Sarah wasn't sure how long had passed when her mother spoke. You looking forward to seeing the family again? Sarah looked across. The voice was cold and distant. I'd rather see them for a happier reason. Sorry about your grandfather. You never mentioned much about him. No, I didn't. She slouched into her chair and rubbed her forehead with a sigh. What was he like? Her mother's laugh made Sarah jump. He could charm anyone to do anything. He could outthink the best of them and manipulate even the most single-minded man. A total bastard. Oh, there must have been something good about him. There was, I suppose. 
The mother trailed off and seemed to fade away for a moment. Sarah had to twist her head to check that she had not fallen asleep, or worse. I'm not sorry he's dead. Getting everyone together is just his last act of control. I thought it was his brother who was getting everyone together. Under Grandad's instruction, he'd be looking down on us all over the next week and having a good laugh. Her mother rubbed her head again and grimaced, pulling out a bottle of tablets. What are those? Sarah asked without hesitation. Her mother flashed the bottle in her face. Just aspirin? Jesus, I've got a bitch of a hangover. Her mother flung a couple of aspirin into her mouth and started to chew. Sarah hated the grotesque sound of crunching tablets. Trust me, darling daughter, we both need plenty of painkillers this week. Sarah nodded and let the awkward silence disturbed by the occasional crunch of what was left of her mother's aspirin echo over the radio and looked at the sat-nav. Only five more hours to go. They would have to stop between now and then, of course, and it was another two hours of awkward radio listening with questions flooding Sarah's mind before the stop came. Questions that Sarah had formed for years about her family. The stop was in a 24-hour services off the motorway, which there would not be much more of soon. It had a few places to buy expensive snacks and drinks and had a toilet, but the best thing that it had for Sarah was the space and distance she could grab from her mother confined to the car. She walked the perimeter of the station and watched the cars speed past letting the wind blow her hair. Only a few more hours. She checked her phone. There was still no reply from Jack. She so hoped he got there first. Not so much for him, but for her own sake. Austin sat on his faded sofa, staring out his living room window, waiting. He wondered how much of his life he had wasted waiting. His bag sat by the door. All the house was set to be left. All he needed now was his taxi. They were late, but he did not expect them to arrive on time, since when did anyone really care about things like punctuality and customer service anymore? He drummed his fingers on his lap. The family would be there. Tonight, he would be sleeping in the same house as his uncle, his sisters, his son. He could not remember the last time he had spoken to any of them, and nor did he care. What he did care about was what happened from his father's will. He had thought about ringing everyone, seeing how they were and what path their lives had taken over the last few years, but he couldn't. He wasn't scared, he just didn't want to be drawn into it all again. A white car pulled up outside. It could only be the taxi. He grabbed his bag and crashed out the house toward it. Hey mate, up to Grimshaw, yeah? The young taxi driver watched as Austin fastened his seatbelt. Yes. The taxi pulled away. Very out of the way place if you don't mind me saying. Austin nodded and wondered if the whole journey was going to be punctuated by this young man's questions and conversation. It'll be the first time I've taken a fare. Still, nice part of the country by all accounts. Oh, have you been? 
No, but the internet don't lie. Nice coastline. I love the sea. Is it business or pleasure your trip? Austin wanted to shut him up. My father's will reading. Oh, I'm sorry for your loss. Why do people say that? Why were they sorry? He wasn't. Thank you. The taxi trundled down the road, and before too long the townscape morphed into the countryside. I imagine the whole family are gathering there. Austin had hoped the conversation was over. A few of us, yes. The taxi driver made a noise and nodded. Still, be good to see them, I imagine. Maybe. The taxi driver nodded again. All families have tension, don't they? I imagine so. The taxi weaved its way among the traffic along the motorway lanes, the driver remaining thankfully quiet for most of it. But then, to Austin's angst, more came from the young man. Still, time is short, and there is little of it to waste with petty arguments among family. Austin tried a different approach. How do you get on with your family? The taxi driver laughed. <laughs> I don't have any. I guess I can't really talk about getting along with them, huh? Austin envied him, a man without family and yet seemingly leading a decent life. No pain from them, no disappointments and no seething resentments. Austin felt compelled to ask more and pondered what happened to this man's family, but resisted. What will you do when you get to Grimshaw? Me, sir? Well, I'll grab a room at the B&B, head back down home tomorrow. No family means I can get the most lucrative jobs. The driver laughed. Austin wanted to join in, but didn't. Still, not much of a life without family, is it? All alone? Vulnerable? Austin looked out the passenger side window at the world going by. Forever alone? Even if you wanted to just let them all vanish into the world. And we cannot even speak to them anymore. Can't ask how they are, or even who they are now. They could all die, and we would not have known. Your sisters, son, granddaughter, all dead. Austin looked around at the driver to come face to face with a blank face under a brimmed trilby hat. He screamed and woke up inside the taxi with the radio playing quietly, and looked at his driver, face fully intact. Are you okay, mate? Austin breathed heavily. He had been sweating and rubbed his forehead. Yeah, just a bad dream. How long was I asleep? Not sure. About an hour, maybe? We'll be stopping for a break soon, if that's okay with you. Austin nodded. It was more than fine. The sooner the better, in fact. He took another deep breath and tried to recall when he had fallen asleep. But it was just a blur of juggled memories. The countryside looked more and more inviting. They still had a long way to go. The train chugged along. The rail screeched from time to time. Jack sat and watched the people around him, trying to listen to the conversations of the two women across the aisle. Mia stared out of the window, listening to her music. He could just about hear the faint sounds of it, but could not identify it. Not that he could, even if he heard it at full volume. He turned his attention to the women. He never answers my calls or texts. I don't know what to do about him. Men, why can't they just be normal? 
left him a message yesterday about four texts this morning already. They're all the same. They just get what they want and then drop you. Isn't that right, Jack? The two women snapped their heads towards him and stared at him. Jack's phone vibrated in his hand. He looked down at it to see Shelley's head screaming at him. A hand shook him as he woke up. Dad, your phone! Mia passed him his phone. He looked at the women across the other side of the train who were ignoring him and talking about something to do with work. His phone had three missed calls, one from Sarah and two from Shelley. He looked at Mia. She must have seen the names. I'm not still seeing Shelley. It doesn't matter. Mia turned back to the window. Mia, really? Mia spun around and watched him. Dad, it doesn't matter to me who you're going out with. I don't know why she's ringing. I haven't seen her in months. Mia stayed quiet. Jack knew that there was no way out of this and no way to convince her otherwise. He looked back at his phone and hesitated about listening to the voicemail, but knew that it could be Sarah. He swallowed hard and listened. Hi Jack, it's Sarah. We're just about to set off. Let me know when you get there. See you soon. He deleted the message and made a mental note to text her when he arrived at Grimshaw and put his phone back. Not long before the end of the line at Grimshaw, and he tried not to go to sleep. He tried to avoid more dreams. Thank you for listening to the Darkest Page podcast. This episode was made possible by the support of the librarians of the Darkest Page, Alex Smith and Tonks. To see how you can support the Darkest Page podcast, please visit patreon.com forward slash the darkest page. I have been your host, and I wish you pleasant dreams.